0: Uh, But with that, if you have your Bibles, uh, if you want to turn with me to the book of Ecclesiastes, we're looking at Ecclesiastes chapter 4, just three verses, verses 4 to 6. If you can choose your translation, I'm going to be reading from the NIV, okay, the NIV. Ecclesiastes chapter 4, verses 4 to 6. This is the reading of God's Word. And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. Better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. Amen. Uh, If you're joining us uh, for the first time, Uh, All summer long, we are in a series called Unlearn and Relearn. And the idea driving this series is that um, there is nothing about us that just kind of came to be on its own. That the way we move through the world, the way we navigate relationships, the way we spend our time and use our resources, all of these things are learned behaviors. Learned behaviors that either pull us toward Jesus or, or push Jesus away. And all summer long, we're talking, we're taking one specific habit each week that we need to unlearn, that is kind of wreaking havoc on our souls and on our relationships. And then we're asking, how does the gospel then help us replace that with something, a constructive habit, practice, or mindset that draws us closer to Jesus, that allows us to live the life Jesus intended us to live? And today, uh, we're talking about what uh, could be, in my opinion, maybe the most devastating habit of our day. And we're talking about the habit of comparison, okay? It's a habit that is so natural to us that we don't even know we're doing it. And I would say, you know, all of us here, we are professional comparers. Okay, we, this is a, the habit and a skill that we've been honing, that we've been perfecting since the day we were born. Um, you know, I have two kids, uh, ages three and five, and already they come home and they say, Daddy, uh, so-and-so has a really nice lunchbox, and it's nicer than my lunchbox. It's really big and roomy. It's got some side compartments for snacks. And I'm always like, well, you got a nice lunchbox too. But that afternoon, I'm on Amazon searching lunchboxes with side compartments uh, that are big, that can fit water bottles, right? And the scary thing is, even after you buy your kids that lunchbox, the very next day, it's something else. So-and-so has this really nice toy So-and-so had his birthday party at Disneyland. So-and-so has a swimming pool in her backyard. And it never stops. And you would think this changes as we get older, but it actually gets worse. It's not about lunch boxes anymore. It's about houses. It's about cars. It's about jobs. It's about vacations. Right? It's about spouses. It's about our kids. Uh, Andy Stanley, who's a pastor out in Atlanta, says, everyone today is living in the land of Ur. Prettier, happier, richer, and my favorite, married Ur, right? And it's this idea that we, all of us, have this tendency to determine where we are based on where everyone else is. This tendency tendency to use other people as the measuring stick by which we define our own lives. Everywhere we look, we're asking, what about me? If only I had more of this. If only I had their looks. If only I had their childhood. If only my kids were like their kids. Um, I can, I mean, just by looking around the room, I I can tell many of us are Asian American, and this probably hits different for most of us because many of us grew grew up in homes where we're used to our parents saying, why can't you be like so-and-so? He got straight A's while working a part-time job. Amazing kid, right? And you think that that ends when you get older, but your parents are still saying, man, did you hear about so-and-so? She's a doctor, bought her parents a house. Lucky parents, right? And more than anything, all of life starts to become this endless cycle of comparison. And I promised that I would never do this to my own kids. But already, every time I see a three-year-old who knows how to read, I'm like, look at that three-year-old. He knows how to read already. I look over at my son. He's like, Daddy, is this seven? You know? And I'm like, come on, bro. Get it together, right? And we don't just do it to our kids, we do it to ourselves, right? All the time, we're constantly looking around, looking to the left and right, using other people to define our own lives. If I want to feel really bad about myself as a parent, all I need to do is get on Instagram and start looking for those videos of parents packing their kids' lunches in the morning right? They got the heart-shaped vegetables. Uh, they, got, they cover all the basic food groups. They even like write the little message to their kids with the ketchup, right? I look down at the lunch I pack for my kids. It's like spam, rice, goldfish, you know, and it's this big signpost every day that says you're failing as a parent. This is what comparison does. And it's a never-ending cycle. And what we realize as we look at our text today is that this isn't a new problem. People have been struggling with comparison since the beginning of time. Okay, except back then, I mean, obviously it wasn't cars. It was probably like, that's a nice goat you got there, right? But nevertheless, it's this constant tendency to determine where we are based on where other people are. Now, the book of ecclesiastes is a book that falls into the genre of wisdom literature in the bible okay and if uh if you guys are the the types of people who like uh talking about existential things uh this is the book for you because all of ecclesiastes is talking about the search for the meaning of life and uh, though it's not explicitly stated most scholars believe the author of this book is king solomon And King Solomon is an interesting character in the Bible, and it's interesting that he's the author of a book that's talking about the search for the meaning of life, because on the surface, King Solomon is someone who you would say made it in life. King Solomon was someone who had everything. He had more wealth, he had more fame, he had more success than anyone could ever dream of. And yet, listen to what he has to say here in chapter 4, verse 4, he says, And I saw that all toil and all achievement spring from one person's envy of another. He looks around, and he sees all these people working around the clock, toiling, striving, achieving and he says you know what at the end of the day it's all just people trying to keep up with each other to which he adds this too is meaningless a chasing after the wind he's saying all this effort to be someone else all this effort to possess what someone else has to live someone else's life all of it is meaningless It's futile. It's like chasing after the wind. It's a never-ending cycle. It's a losing battle, because no matter how much you achieve, there will always be someone prettier, happier, richer, smarter, and more talented than you. They say that comparison is the thief of joy, and it's so true, right? How many times have we accomplished something noteworthy and something that should be celebrated, but we make the fatal mistake of looking around and looking at what everyone else is doing, and all of a sudden, something that should have been cause for celebration all of a sudden becomes the biggest letdown, becomes our disappointment, right? What should have been, man, I can't believe I saved enough to purchase a home praise God, all of a sudden becomes, dang, their house is a lot nicer than mine. I'm never going to be able to afford something like that in L.A. What should have been, I can't believe that after 10 years, I can finally say that I love my job. All of a sudden, after we look around for a bit, becomes, man, 10 years out of college and I'm still making less than post-grads, recent grads. You see how comparison works? And it's this incessant need to compare that robs us of our joy. And I would say we live in a world that makes it easier than ever to compare. There's a reason why study after study shows that there is a direct correlation between social media consumption and mental health. How can you not become miserable when you are constantly comparing your ordinary mundane life to the heavily filtered, heavily edited, heavily photoshopped realities of others? How can we not become miserable? When I was growing up, there was no social media. So the only person you had to beat was the person down the street. The only person you had to be better than was that one guy at church or that one girl at school. Now you have to be better than everyone in the world. You have to be better than celebrities, right? We live in a culture that makes it so easy to do that. And I would say that even chasing that one person was exhausting. It stressed me out. It was giving me anxiety. I can't imagine how it must feel for people growing up with social media now. You know, sometimes I think about this, you know, like I don't think I would have ever started playing music if I grew up in this era. And that is like a a shocking thought to me. I feel like if I grew up, you know, I imagine 10-year-old Jason, that's when I probably picked up the guitar for the first time. I was trying to learn three chords. I imagine 10-year-old Jason getting on TikTok and watching videos of four-year-old prodigies shredding. And I would, I would have been like, why am I even trying? And, and it's crazy to think that something that has become such an integral part of my identity, my story, and my life might never have existed if I fell into the trap of comparison. And isn't this how comparison works? Not only does comparison stress us out and exhaust us, but it robs those around us from getting the fullness of who we are. And look at what Solomon says in verse 5. He says, "...fools fold their hands and ruin themselves." Right after he talks about how all striving and toil is fueled by comparison and envy, he follows that up by saying, fools fold their hands and ruin themselves. What Solomon is saying, so basically what Solomon is saying is, he's not knocking ambition or success or achievement in and of itself. He's actually saying the opposite. He's saying when you allow the pace of other people to dictate your own life, when you allow other people's lives to define yours, you actually become less than what God has called you to be. He's saying you're like fools who just fold their hands and ruin themselves. In other words, he's saying you think comparison makes you a better person? You think comparison makes you a better version of yourself? No. It makes you a worse version of yourself because it keeps you from becoming, uh, from living into the way God has uniquely crafted you to be. Because you see, the more we allow other people to determine our worth and significance, the less we become ourselves, okay? Now, I'm going to give us some, like, three litmus tests as to how we know we are falling into the trap of comparison, okay? So let's get a little bit practical. If you're asking, huh, I wonder if I have this problem. I wonder if this habit is something I have to unlearn. Here are three litmus tests for us. Number one, you will find yourself unable to genuinely celebrate other people's accomplishments. Oh, you got engaged? That's amazing. And then under your breath, it's like, how the heck did she get engaged, right? Or even worse, you will find yourself wanting to see other people fail. And we hate to admit it, okay? We would never say it out loud, but a lot of us, there is something in us that kind of gets happy, kind of gets a little smug when we see people who we perceived as successful all of a sudden fall from glory, fail. Oh, man, I'm so, I'm so sorry that happened to your business feel really bad for you. And we go home, and we're surprisingly happy about it. Why? Because when we determine our worth based on where someone else is, is, their failure means we succeed. Their failure helps us. Okay? That's the first litmus test. Second litmus test. Over time, you will watch yourself become exactly the kind of person you yourself never wanted to be. Okay, you know, it's funny. Like when we leave our own lanes and we start to live someone else's life and we start to chase after someone who is wired completely different from from us, it's so funny what happens. Even when we succeed, we fail. Because we realize once we get there, we didn't even want that life to begin with. Right? It's spending, you know, I, I don't actually think the saddest thing is spending your whole life chasing someone else's dream and failing. I actually think the saddest thing is spending your whole life chasing someone else and succeeding. Because when you get there and you actually succeed, a lot of times, more often than not, you'll look around at your life and you'll say, oh my goodness, I got the very thing I wanted. I never even wanted this life to begin with. This is not actually how God created me to be. So that's litmus test number two. Litmus test number three, and this one's simple: you will begin to drive everyone in your life crazy. If you are a husband or a wife and you are constantly comparing your spouse to other spouses, you are putting expectations on your spouse that your spouse cannot possibly carry if you are constantly comparing your friends to other friends, you are putting expectations on your friends that they cannot possibly carry. If you lead an organization and you are constantly looking at other organizations to to determine where your organization is, you will start to put pressure on your staff that they cannot bear. If your kids grow up, and all they think about is their parents constantly comparing them to other kids. I'm sorry to say this. You are, you are traumatizing your children and you are instilling in them insecurities that, they, that will stay with them the rest of their life. And I know this because I counsel people for a living. A lot of times it's one comment of comparison that a child heard when he or she was young that stays with them the rest of their lives. This is what comparison does. It wreaks havoc on our souls and it wreaks havoc on our relationships. Well, what can we replace that with? If we have to unlearn comparison, what do we have to relearn? And the answer is contentment, contentment. Take a look at what Solomon says in verse six. He says, better one handful with tranquility than two handfuls with, chasing, with toil and chasing after the wind. Better one handful with tranquility, with contentment, with peace, with satisfaction than two handfuls with toil and chasing after the wind. And what this is saying is that you can actually have more than the next person. You can have two handfuls of wealth. You can have two handfuls of popularity and fame and still at the end of the day be more miserable than the person with less, with one handful, but the person who has discovered the secret of true contentment. There is nothing more inspiring to me, and and I can name some people off the top of my head, there is nothing more inspiring to me than seeing someone confident in their own skin, not worrying what the people on their left and right are doing, not being caught up with what everyone is telling you success looks like, not being caught up with how the world defines or measures your life, someone who doesn't spend all their time worrying about what they don't have, but someone who is always full of gratitude for the things they do have. And you might be saying, well, it's easy to be content and it's easy to be grateful when you have a lot, right? It's easy to be confident in your skin when you have great circumstances, when things always seem to fall into place for you and yet when you read the bible some of the greatest examples of contentment are actually of people who had nothing isn't it ironic that you have king solomon who's who has everything that a person could desire who ends up writing an entire book about the meaninglessness and vanity of life i mean i think that is very telling he was someone who many would have said has no comparison there's no one who could compare what he has and yet he hasn't discovered the heart of true contentment on the flip side you have someone like the apostle paul and he writes a he writes a letter to the philippians and a couple years ago we did a we did an entire series uh, on on his letter to the philippians and we know that paul was writing from prison he's writing uh, after he's been stripped beaten humiliated and somehow he's able to say this, and this is what he says in Philippians chapter 4, verses 11 to 13. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. I have learned the secret of being content. Paul's circumstances did not make him content. He had to learn how to be content. And how did he learn it? He changed his point of reference. He stopped looking around at everyone around him, and he started looking up. Earlier in the book of Philippians, Paul says this. He says, for to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. You see, Paul was someone who had a lot going for him. He was well-educated, had a pedigree most people in that time would kill to have. And yet somehow throughout the course of his life, Paul realizes, man, I'm done with this rat race. He realizes what King Solomon realized. He says, it's like chasing after the wind. It's a losing battle. I could keep racking up accomplishment after accomplishment, achievement after achievement, but listen to what he says. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. And listen to this. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. He's saying, I could play this comparison game better than anyone, but I'm not going to do it. You know why? Because all these things I've worked so hard to achieve, after I met Jesus after I embraced the gospel for myself, I realized that all of these things are garbage for the sake of Christ. And so here he is sitting in a prison cell with a life nobody would want, and yet freer than he's ever been because he's discovered the secret of true contentment. He discovered that there is nothing more freeing, that there is nothing better than finding his worth and significance and identity in Christ and Christ alone. Well, how do we get what the Apostle Paul has? How do we get to where the Apostle Paul is? How do we unlearn comparison and relearn contentment? How does the gospel help us get there? And let me say this. Really, at the heart of comparison is the belief that your life is not intrinsically valuable. I mean, think about it. Like, at the heart of why we compare and why we're so obsessed with what other people have and why the grass is always greener on the other side is the belief, the lie, that your life is not intrinsically valuable. That you, by yourself, where you are right now, are not worthy that we need to do more or possess what someone else has in order to make our lives valuable, in order to make ourselves worthy. And so all of life then becomes this never-ending cycle of doing more, wanting more, wanting to possess what other people have, and we end up breaking our backs trying to get it. But here's what the gospel says. The gospel says that God considered you so valuable that he was willing to give his own life for you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world. God says, you think you're not valuable? You think that person over there is more valuable than you are? You are so precious to me that I will give my own life so that you would know just how precious you are. Why are you striving and toiling and achieving, trying to be someone you don't need to be? You are fearfully and wonderfully made. Stop comparing yourself to other people. You were created and redeemed for a specific purpose. Don't settle for less by becoming someone you were never created to be. You have nothing left to prove. You have nothing left to possess. You're my child, and everything I have is yours. Friends, comparison is the biggest distraction to the things God has called us to do, and the people God has called us to love. And let me just close with this. My hope is that when you leave this place, every time you face that temptation, every time you start to hear that little voice that says, what about me? I wish I had more of. I think I need to do more to be loved and accepted. My hope and prayer is that you you would remember that in Christ, You are enough. You are who Christ says you are, and that is loved, precious, valuable. And so my hope is that we would leave and not feel like we have to live in the land of Ur anymore, that we would stop striving, running, toiling, achieving, that we would know that everything our heart could ever desire has already been secured for us by Jesus on the cross. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we needed this word today. Um, I suspect that for so many of my brothers and sisters in here, uh, just this tendency, this this incessant need to compare ourselves to others, to compare our lives to others, has only gotten worse. Especially during a pandemic where we were confined to our homes, uh, to our phones, uh, to our devices, where every waking moment of the day, our feeds were bombarded by people's lives who we perceived to be richer happier, more well-off than ours. And God, I pray that in this moment, you would allow the gospel to wash over us. That for anyone in this room that feels like they aren't enough, that there's something better out there that they need to do or achieve to make themselves more valuable or more precious. I pray that they would know today that who they are is enough. That we were so loved, that we were so valuable, that it was worth your life. And so, God, I pray that that, would, that message would sink deep within our souls that it would fill us with a sense of gratitude that even when our circumstances aren't ideal, even when we haven't maybe achieved all the things we want to, even when we haven't fulfilled all of our ambitions, we can sit like the Apostle Paul and say, I have learned the secret of contentment that for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. May that be the cry of our hearts this morning. We thank you for this word. We thank you for this church. We love you. We give you all the praise, honor, and glory. In your son's precious name we pray. Amen.